Belair family, good morning. As we gather here in this space, I know that we have many joining us online as well. Do you know about 200 people join us every service online? People not only throughout the city who physically can't make it here, but people traveling. So just know that if you're traveling, if you're away, or perhaps uh, you're not physically able to make it, you can always go onto our website and join us in service. I know it's not the same as physically being here, but I'm so thankful that we have a God who meets us exactly where we are a God that transcends space and time. And even as we are here in this moment, I want to share with you something. I think I've shared this with some of you. The word remember, you've heard me say this, right? The word remember. The word remember outnumbers the word believe in the Bible. Five to one. The word remember outnumbers the word trust. Two to one. In fact, the very core of who God has created us to be is to, to know Him, to be known by Him, to be very knowledgeable of who He is and who He has created us to be. And in many ways, you could say all the way back in the beginning, all the way back to Genesis 3, that the root of all brokenness is an inability to remember who God is and who God has called us to be. In fact, the serpent, remember, says in the garden, did God really say went right after our memory. And so before we move on, before we jump into today's sermon, before we talk about what's ahead, we have to pause, I think. We have to look back. We have to remember God's faithfulness. We just came off of a phenomenal week here at Bel Air. And I'm not only excited that 1,500 gathered in service on Palm Sunday. I'm not only excited that about 4,000 gathered in service here on Easter, but I'm most excited that thousands were sent out in service. And if you were not here on Palm Sunday or Easter Sunday, for whatever reason, take a look at this. This is a little snapshot of what happened two weeks ago on Palm Sunday. Check this out. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six. people surrounding the entire campus and circled about to pray not only for this church but for this city. It's phenomenal. Even as you look around, we've got people getting ready for this as one church gathering to pray together with one voice as one church. What a day. For us, not to look at Bel Air as just another Jerusalem, but to look at Bel Air as a Bethany. Jesus longs for us to be that kind of a people.
So for those who are not here on that day, it was quite an experience as we gathered in this space right here for one service, and we encircled the whole campus. We prayed one prayer. People said, it's impossible. You're not going to do it. You can't get people to circle the campus. Not enough people will show up. There's no way you can sync them up to pray the same prayer at the same time. Well, they didn't know that we had Pastor Kim Dortilly to help orchestrate it. It was amazing. But also, we have a God that reminds us that not only is God the God of the impossible, but it takes every single one of us to play our indispensable part to accomplish what only God can accomplish through us. I could not encircle the whole campus alone. Our staff could not encircle the campus alone. The members of our church alone couldn't encircle the campus. It took every single person who was there on that Sunday. And what a powerful reminder for us. And I want us to just put a kind of stake in our memory in the ground to remind us that it takes all of us, not just me, but we, to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. And if you were not here on that Sunday, on Palm Sunday, I encourage you to go to our website and listen to that message. You can go to iTunes, you can go to our website, but in it I very clearly made a distinction between two different places in Scripture that really represent not just a kind of place, but a kind of person, a kind of community. You can either be at Jerusalem, which is all about man-made religion, all about the religious elite performing the services for the people, where people came to consume a religious experience, or you have a Bethany. And it's fascinating that in Scripture, it tells us that there's only one place where Jesus felt most at home, and that was in Bethany. And rather than just building up man-made religion, it was all about creating a space for relationship. And I challenged us, I challenged myself, I let God's Word challenge all of us to know. I know, you see that bird up there? For those in the room, that bird, we're praying for that bird, that bird will find its way out. But while that bird's here be joining us. All of creation declares the glory of God. So you have this word here. You've got that. You've got the view. And those online are like, what's happening? There's a bird in here. So, but I, but I shared with us the opportunity for us moving forward, for us to be the kind of people that we would be a Bethany, that we would live our lives, that we would be a community as such, that Jesus would find home here, that Jesus would find welcome here. And the four things that I shared, I'm not going to go into that sermon, you can go online, but I talked about how we have to welcome all of Jesus. We have to allow Him to be the Lord of our lives, to stand under the authority of God's Word. At the same time, we have to welcome all people. Those on the margins of society, we want them to come and to hear the transforming message of Jesus Christ, that we would be a community of welcome, but also that we would be a community of freedom, not only for ourselves, but for the sake of others, that Jesus would transform us so that we would be freed from the things that bind us back and hold us back and the shackles and the addictions and the problems, but that we would be freed so that we can set others free as well. And it was so phenomenal on that day as over 2,000 bags were packaged. These love your neighbor care packages, those of you who were there, we accomplished it in about 30 minutes. It was phenomenal how quickly that was. So that on Easter Sunday, we sent everyone out, every household out into the community to serve the community, to meet their temporary earthly needs, which Jesus did, but also to meet their eternal needs as well, which Jesus so clearly did. We had not only a little bit of food and sunscreen and, and the toothpaste and toothbrush, but we also had the gospel of John to provide that holistic care to people in our community. If you missed one of those, we're not here that Sunday. I think we even have more today 
on the information booth. We want to put them in your hands so that you can go out and serve the community so that when you pull up to that off-ramp, you can roll down the window, you can ask that person their name and say, hey, I'd be honored to share this with you. I'm part of Bel Air Presbyterian Church, and there's amazing stories that are already coming back of what God is doing in lives, not just for people who are receiving those care packages, but for those who are part of our church giving them. People said, wow, I felt so much freedom to actually have something to do rather than to keep the window rolled up and look in the back seat, you know, searching for something. I've done that. We want to be a church that is known for loving this community, a church of welcome, of freedom, but also adoration of Jesus Christ and to live with anticipation for what He's going to do in us and through us. We need to be that kind of church, to be a Bethany. Only way we can do that is by going to God's Word, allowing God's Word to transform us, to change us. We can't do this on our own. We have to be readjusted in our view of ourselves to be reminded of the truest things about ourselves. So why don't we open up our Bibles? You have them in front of you in the pew if you're sitting down, if you're online. You can go to John 10.10. In our pew Bible, that's on page 872. We're reading from the New Revised Standard Version if you have a phone or a, uh, any mobile device. There's some great apps. I highly recommend the Version app. That's one word, Version. It's put together by a church in Oklahoma. Every translation almost in the world, every uh, language, all at your fingertips for free. You can carry the power of God's Word with you wherever you go. But let's go to John 10.10. Very familiar passage. I'm going to read it for us, and I'm going to tell you how I misquoted it the majority of my life. This is John 10.10. This is Jesus speaking. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This, my friends, is God's Word. All right, so I misquoted this for decades. I mean, I think I memorized this passage before I memorized John 3.16, and yet I still got it wrong. I always thought it said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And some of you might say, well, what, that, that was it. You got it right. Now, the problem was, is I, I individualized it. I Americanized it. I westernized it. I subbed out the they. I took out the community. I took out the plurality of what Jesus says. I came to they, and I made it all about me. And yes, it's true that Jesus died for you. But it's true that he also died for y'all. And I've got some family from the South, and they say y'all all the time. And it's not you all, it's y'all. And if you're from Pittsburgh, any Pittsburgh people here? Yins. That's what they say, yins, yins. Or use guys from different parts of the country. I say you guys. Or, use, you know, it's all these different things. Because in the English, we don't have, grammatically speaking, what's called the second person plural. If you've been to Spain, you love the word vosotros. You know that word? Vosotros or ustedes, right? I love that word. But we don't have that in English, so we have to make up these phrases. Y'all, yints, you guys, you guys, whatever it is. Y'all, you all. You know, we just, we, it's kind of interesting. We don't have a word for it. And so often when we read the English translation of what originally was written, the Old Testament in the Hebrew and the New Testament in the Greek, we Americanize it, we Westernize it, we individualize it. And for years, I thought that it said, I have come that you may have life. And it's true that Jesus came so that you would have life. But we cannot forget the fact that we were created for community. 
And the very essence of what it means to be God's people is to be a community of one. In fact, every single metaphor to describe the early church always revolved around Jesus and was always about a community. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, plural. I am the cornerstone, you are living stones. There's the high priest, which is Jesus, and we are part of the royal priesthood, all these plurality. He's the head, we are members of the body. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian, yet for so many years I lived believing that it could just be me and Jesus. I don't need anybody else. I don't need church. I don't need anybody else to mess things up. I just want it to be me and Jesus. Give me my coffee. Give me my Bible. Give me my sermon podcast, and I am set. But Jesus says, no, 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 I have come that they may have life and life abundant. And the truth is, is that we cannot experience this life abundant alone. We cannot experience all that Jesus died for and rose from the grave for alone. Here we are one week after Easter. It's still Resurrection Sunday. We experience that every Sunday. But the truth is, He's not only alive, but He has to be alive not only in me, but also in we. Let's take a left in the Bible. Let's, let's, let's hook a Louis, as they say. Let's go to Genesis one, all the way in the beginning. And let's take a look at how all this began, how we were created for community. Often it's said that we have, you know, a, a God-shaped hole in our heart. I, I started the service by saying Augustine said that, you know, my heart is restless until it finds its rest in you, O God. But it's true to say that there's also this community-shaped hole in our heart as well. Let's take a look at Genesis 1. And let's go to Genesis 1.1. Let's, let's go right to the beginning. In the beginning, when God, let's pause there, God. Now, the Hebrew word for God is the word Elohim. It's a plural word. It's not a singular word. It's a plural word. Now, I have friends that are Hindu. This is very different. This is not a belief system that there are millions of individual gods. No, it says clearly in Scripture that God is one. This idea of monotheism, one God, is very true. There is one God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Yet, at the same time, the Hebrew word for God, Elohim, is a plural word. Now, the mysterious nature of this Trinity, we use that language of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We have to understand that before God was a creator God, before God was a redeeming God, before God was a promising God, before God was a restoring and a redemptive, salvific God, God was a relational God. In the beginning, God. There was a community of oneness, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, that has existed throughout all of eternity. I used to think that when I was a kid, oh yeah, there's God that is kind of up there, but then Jesus was born and just kind of was alive, kind of like we are born, and then all of a sudden now there's that relationship. No, 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 there's existed throughout all of eternity this community of oneness, this relational nature of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. There's no hierarchy. There's no individuality at the forsaking of others in the Trinity. It's this self-giving, self-sacrificial, relational love that God pours out of God's self into the cosmos. So before God said, let there be light, there was relationship. 
And as you look throughout this Genesis 1 creation account, you can get all the way to verse 26. Take a look at this. I'm not making this up. It's right here. In verse 26, then God, remember that's a plural word, Elohim, then God, plural, said, let us, that's a plural word right there, make humankind, that's also a plural word, in our, again, a plural word. You're like, come on, Drew, I know, I know it's plural, but, I, but I, we forget these things, don't we? Remember the word remember outnumbers the word believe. Five times one, it outnumbers the word trust, two to one. We, we forget these things. We were created for community. According to our, that's plural likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God, Elohim, this plural God, a community of oneness, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit created humankind in His image. In the image of God, plural, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There's this powerful truth that is encapsulated in the, the Latin phrase imago Dei, which means the image of God, which we've individualized, we've westernized, we've Americanized the imago Dei, the image of God, and we think that to be made in the image of God is simply as you, an individual, being made in the likeness of God. But the very core of the imago Dei, what it means to be made in the image of God, which no animal is made in the image of God, there's no, there's no tree that's made in the image of God. Scripture says there's nothing in all the cosmos, the beautiful stars, the sun rises, all those things that, that we just delight in, that we say, wow, no, that is beautiful. That is perfection. Scripture says that, no, we are the pinnacle of God's creation because we are the only beings made in the image of God. At the very core of who God is is a community of oneness, a relational nature. So we, in bearing God's image, in reflecting who God is in our life, has to be done in community. We don't fully reflect the image of God unless we do so in community. And Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Colossians 1, I think 26 or 27, we saw it on the screen right in between one of the verses of the songs. Christ in you, the hope of glory, but it's really Christ in you all. Christ in yins. Christ in you guys. The hope of glory. You see, we've individualized, we've Americanized, we've westernized the truth of the gospel. And so we talk about conversion, to come to Christ, to give our life to Christ, but there's also another conversion that many of us miss that, that was just assumed in the first century, and it's a conversion to community. Now, many of us get terrified when we hear that phrase, conversion to community. What is this? I mean, I thought this was just a church. Is this a cult? You're saying I got to do something weird? Like, what is this? No, 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 that's not all what I'm saying, but at the very core of who we've been created to be is a people of community. And we experience this in many ways throughout life. You know, we, we, we love. Kim, what's your, what's your football team? The Broncos. the Broncos, right? And you, man, that's your community. Within that, you know, like you see somebody wearing a jersey and it's on, right? It's like you're, you're like soulmates. <laughs> and we experience community in so many different ways. We experience it in our workplaces. We experience it in our hobbies. We experience it... Uh, as we vacation, we might run into people that all of a sudden, you know, some people are like this. There's extroverts, and all of a sudden they're there for a week, and all of a sudden they're enjoying the same meals with the same people because they just, they long for community. Some people go out in the desert, 
and exchange goods. There's no money at Burning Man because they want to experience community. We go to all these different links to experience community. We join bowling leagues. We join all these different things because we, at the very core of who we are, we were created for community. Yes, we have a God-shaped hole in our heart, but we also have a community-shaped hole as well. And things began to unravel at the fall. In the very beginning, we began to focus on ourselves. And this relationship with God was broken. A relationship with one another was broken. A relationship with ourselves was broken. And a relationship with creation was broken. You see, right in the beginning, it says that, that humankind had authority over the animals. And whenever I'm out surfing, I know that I do not have authority over those great white sharks that are swimming right below me. They're out there. They truly are. You know, right off of Point Doom, big sharks. My friend was paddling. Literally, his hand just scraped along sandpaper. It's not sandpaper. It's a great white shark. I have no authority. <laughs> so we have relationally, we're broken in so many ways that we, we need not only God in our life, but we also need community. We need relationship. And Bel Air, not only do you individually need the community that is here at Bel Air, but the, actually the truth is just the same. This community needs you. They need your, your encouragement. They need your skills. They need your, they need your prayers. They need your joy. They need you to be, to be real and to be honest. You see, at the very core of Christian community is that we are defined by the reality of who Jesus is. And in our diversity, in our differences, in our different voting, in our different food preferences, in our different views of so many different things, when we have Jesus as the center, when we allow God's Word to transform us, we begin to experience something that actually nothing else can experience. No, no hobby, no concert, no festival, no, 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 no sports team can provide the level and deep transforming richness of community that comes through a community of faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Baylor, would we be a people that doesn't just show up on Sundays and doesn't just say, what am I going to get out of it, but begins to ask the question, wow, God, what are you going to give through me? What are you going to do through me today? How much would this church change if we showed up every Sunday to every small group, to every service opportunity, every time we gathered together, really praying and saying, God, would you do something through me to enhance this community, to build up this community? M. Scott Peck, a great American psychiatrist, wrote a really well-known book called The Road Less Traveled. He says there's four stages of community. This is how I want to end, just for us to get this in our mind. As a Christian, he really was modernizing what is revealed in Scripture, but he says, at the very beginning of community, when people first gather together, and we're really good at this often on a Sunday, he says, we experience what's called pseudo-community. It's fake community. You present the best, best version of yourself. You, you, you know, you have it all together. You show up, people say, hey, how you doing? And you know how your week has been. You say, doing fine. I'm good at this. I, I, truly, I am good at this. I'm good at pseudo-community. I'm good at showing up to a small group. I'm good at showing up at a family gathering. I was there yesterday for my grandmother's memorial up in Santa Rosa. People are like, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. You know, it's the, that fake sugary smile. I'm good at pseudo-community, sadly. That's not real community. That's not the type of community that Jesus died for. 
And M. Scott Peck says that if you can get past that, that fakeness, the shadow self, and you actually begin to reveal kind of the brokenness of who you are, you'll actually begin to experience that just by being around people. After a while, the idiosyncrasies come out. If you're around family long enough, around church people long enough, you begin to say, wow, that, that's weird. I don't like that at all. And M. Scott Peck says, well, that's, that's the second stage of community. It's called chaos. And we've begun to experience that a little bit here at Bel Air and some of our small groups. We've had instances where it is absolute chaos because people are willing to show up in their brokenness, in their grief, and it disrupts everything. And we do not like that, but M. Scott Peck says, and more importantly, Scripture says, that is good because it begins to take off the, the hypocrisy. You take off the mask of pseudo-community, and through that chaos, you begin to get to the third layer, which M. Scott talks about, and it's what's called the emptying phase. And it's not that you yourself are empty, but it's truly that you begin to empty your individualized. You begin to empty your selfish needs. You begin to empty your belief that all these people exist for my spiritual growth. Or all these people are here just for my experience. We love it when it's full in here. We love it when people are packed in this room full, but I think it's because it makes a better experience for me. And my hope is that we would long for it to be full, not just so that it's better for me, but that we, more people, would know the glory and the truth of who Jesus is in our life. And we begin to empty all of that. We get to the fourth level, what Jesus died for, which over 50 one another verses in Scripture teach us how to do it, to love one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to bear one another's burdens. M. Scott Peck calls that true community. You've got a lot of layers to get there, don't you? To get through pseudo-community, to, to be willing to get through the chaos and the differences and the brokenness, to, to begin to empty ourselves, to seek God's best, not only for us but for each other so that we can begin to experience true community. We have an opportunity today for some of us to take just the next step in that. Whether today's your first time, you've been here for six weeks, or you've been here for 30 years, but really you need to take one more step to get more connected. We have something right outside if you're here on campus in our prayer garden right by the, the babbling brook as they call it. There's a little koi pond out there and I'm going to be there. Some of our leaders will be there. I'd love to shake your hand. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to tell you a little bit about who we are, what we're about and would love to get you connected. You'll walk away just with a little bit more sense of not only who we are but an opportunity to know more about things coming up to get more connected whether it's small groups or the alpha class today or even that women's Monday night Bible study that's happening tomorrow night. It talks about community. You see, we were created not just to know Jesus and the power of His resurrection, but to experience community together. I think that if all of us put our minds to it, we get that bird out. I can't do it, but we can. <laughs> so let's talk about that after the 11 o'clock service. Let's make it a group project, huh? Beller, we have a chance to not be Jerusalem just with empty man-made religion, but to be a Bethany, to be a place where Jesus finds himself most at home. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time as we gather here with reminders of the relational nature of who you are, that even your creation sings and tells of your glory, that God, we would hear in this place 
have a deeper longing for relationship, not only with you but also with one another, but also that we would be emboldened by your love to take one step on that journey towards true community, biblical community, an abundant life community. So God, we thank you for this time. And in Jesus' mighty and matchless name we pray, amen.